Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Health Canada looks into reports that some Canadians are getting COVID tests at for-profit health clinics. In principle, of course, uh, we will defend uh, equal access to a public health care system because that is that is one of the principles that our health care system rests on. But I am having uh, a team at Health Canada look into exactly what the nature of these concerns are and what the nature of these services are. And I'll have more to say when I understand the details better. Canada buys enough materials to conduct 200,000 COVID tests every day for at least the rest of this year. The Government of Canada has signed a new agreement with Abbott Diagnostics to purchase a total of up to 20.5 million antigen rapid COVID tests, which can be analyzed on site without additional equipment with results in about 20 minutes. And the Liberal government survives the vote on the throne speech. Yes, pour 177, 177. Nays, contre 152, I declare the motion carried. It's Wednesday, October the 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Mark. So there are a number of interesting developments with regard to how this country is handling the coronavirus crisis. The the federal government, Health Canada, is looking into reports that there have been some tests offered by for-profit clinics. Uh, There is also an effort to bring in more testing. And I, I know a lot of Canadians feel like by now we should have had more tests in place that we could have avoided the kind of backlog that's taking place right now and allowed more people to be tested on a regular basis without long delays. Where do you think we stand at this juncture now uh, as uh, we're in the midst in some parts of the country of a second wave? Well, that's the key point. It is the second wave. Uh, We've all lived through the experience of the first wave of COVID-19, and it has brought about all these changes in our daily lives, uh, you know, that are that we're now only starting to somewhat get used to. Uh, governments at all levels are still uh, grasping, really, to respond. And, um, you know, the federal government is no exception. I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised that private uh, operators are figuring out ways to um, get involved in the testing. I'm not sure what's so bad about that. I, I, I mean, I suppose outright violations of the Canada Health Act would have to be dealt with, but uh, I think it would be good public policy for any government, federal or provincial, to uh, try to find as many ways to get as many tests done for as many people as possible, uh, as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, the, the government is very proud of its um, response to the pandemic. I, I think uh, it has reason to temper that pride uh, because the fact is that the disease is still spreading in our communities, Ontario, Quebec uh, particularly, um, and it's uh, still an extremely dangerous public health hazard that uh, is not under control. Uh, other than in a few spots, and luckily I'm in one, but uh, the Maritimes is only one small part of the larger overall uh, national picture. Yeah, and that issue of for-profit clinics providing tests in it is an interesting one, and it's sort of uh, it's a it's a classic metaphor for the broader 
debate about health care in the country, at least on one front, about whether it's helpful to have for-profit clinics providing some tests and services to allow people to, to step out of the lineup for those services in the public system and make things move more quickly. And in the end, does it matter uh, as long as people are getting tested, whether they're paying for it or not. And on the other hand, it suggests maybe there's a level of unfairness and that it violates the Canada Health Act. So I know that there will be people on both sides of that debate, but as you say, there will be many who will feel that, that on a practical level, the important thing is the tests are happening. So you have, any time you get talking about public and private provision of any type of health services, Mark, you get into uh, a sort of a two-pronged argument. On one side, you have the ideological, if you will, or the uh, political uh, situation where you're trying to uh, uh, ensure that the Canada Health Act is respected and that the Canadian, um, uh, you know, free-for-all uh, health system is maintained and supported. But at the same time, you have a practical argument, but we've got this problem, let's deal with it. Um, this is not, uh, you know, old guys getting their hips done. This is an immediate crisis that kills people every single day. So um, I think the, the federal government would be wise <clears throat> and to, to make sure. And, and look, private clinics are going to have to use, you know, federally regulated, approved uh, testing equipment and procedures. Um, if, if everyone is getting the same quality, if you will, the same quality of tests, then why not adopt measures that speed up public access to it? Uh, you know, and it, again, there are going to be a lot of people who will make the opposite argument on this, and I respect that. But at the same time, this is a pandemic. This is not just grinding away on long-term endemic uh, health issues. This is, this is something that is a crisis that is right before us right now. What do you think about uh, the, some of the storylines that are developing? It's not quite the same in Canada as it is in the United States, but there are people who are resisting wearing masks, and, and Canadians do watch the events in the U.S. where the President of the United States is telling Americans not to worry about the coronavirus. Is there a risk of a, of a spillover effect into Canada that will become a public health issue? Well, I think there is. I think it's a very real uh, risk. You know, Mark, there are, are, I don't know, I wouldn't want to try to put a number on it, a small but uh, not insignificant minority of people in Canada uh, do regard Donald Trump as a great leader and as an insightful person. And, you know, they take their cues, especially on matters where it comes to the so-called culture wars. You know, um, Trump is the leading warrior of, of one team of this sort of anti-science, anti-fact um, way of seeing the world. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to be too harsh about it, but that's exactly what it is. And there are people who like that fact and information-free environment, and they see Trump as the leading exponent of that, which I suppose he is. Um, but there has been a spillover into Canada. I mean, we do have people defying the mask uh, regulation. Uh, there's a couple in Toronto that are being that are facing charges over that, you know, who flew to Ireland and traipsed around over there, came back, refused to, you know, to uh, go along with self-isolation and masking and things like that, and are trying to portray themselves as uh, as martyrs and victims. And there, there will be others who will do that. And I think this is something that's going to go on for a while, I, you know, I, I don't know that the, the, the state has to bring down the full weight and majesty of the Canadian justice system on every single one of these people, but it has to be made clear 
that the way out of this is by isolation, is by careful public policy, is by wearing masks and, and being smart. So uh, a lot of the ways out of the pandemic are there for us to see. We just have to stick to the plan until we get there, and it could take a while. But uh, in the meantime, we can't allow, uh, uh, you know, a, a bunch of politics that's spilling over from the United States to get in and, and corrupt our chances to, to uh, better fight the pandemic. All right, let's turn to the throne speech, which passed in the House of Commons overnight uh, with the support of the NDP. What does that say about how things are playing out in this minority parliament? Well, I think this is a, a sign of things to come. You know, uh, I don't know that the uh, the Liberals are going to be able to do a lot of, uh, you know, coalition building with the Conservatives or even the Greens. Both parties have new leaders who want to go out and make their stamp on, uh, put their stamp on things. Uh, they they want to show that they're going they're the leaders to defy the Trudeau government and bring down Justin Trudeau. Um, the NDP, of course, also has that objective in mind, but I think uh, has a long history of being smart about the practical results of its um, uh, of its uh, behavior in the Commons. So, uh, Jagmeet Singh was able to wring some concessions from the Liberals, uh, uh, you know, to get the throne speech passed. And, uh, you know, on extending benefits. and uh, But, you know, they're going to uh, announce today that uh, you're going to announce a motion today to uh, seek a lot more information on the federal uh, response to the pandemic. So I think that's the, the way the NDP is going to portray its, uh, you know, cooperation, at least for the time being, with the Liberals to say, yeah, sure, we, we supported the throne speech because we think the government should carry on in an orderly fashion. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to be demanding answers about the pandemic response and where the money has gone and, and who benefits from what and the provision of personal protective equipment and things like that. So that that seems like a fairly workable way forward for the NDP and the Liberals if they're, they're not going to say, yeah, we're going to team up together on every issue and they won't. But um, I think, you know, what you're going to see in this minority parliament is a, is a fair bit of uh, cooperation with the NDP, between the NDP and the Liberals. Finally, it looks like today the federal government is going to release a preliminary list of banned plastic items, single-use plastics, and also a plan to designate plastic a toxic substance, which is a move that could uh, cause some concern in Alberta, where there is a plastics industry. Uh, What do you think about that and the political implications of it? Well, plastic, uh, you know, is is a petroleum product, and Alberta is the petroleum province. So anything that uh, impedes the growth of of, uh, petrochemical industries, I mean, uh, Alberta has ambitious uh, plans for its, uh, you know, petrochemical industry. Um, now, what the what the feds I think are talking about banning and declaring are, are some of these items that we see all over our beaches and our streets. You know, uh, grocery bags and uh, you know plastic forks and everything like that. Um, and you know, I think people do expect more uh, you know regulation of that type of product. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's not going to go over well in Alberta. Obviously, anything that that gives another kick in the shins to the oil patch is going to be met, I think, with quite a hostile reaction there. And Alberta, at the same time, has been studying 
um, how to uh, develop its petrochemical industry and find ways to put some of its uh, its petroleum resources to uh, an alternative use. So uh, there's a lot more to be figured out here, but um, and I, I don't know how well you know the Trudeau government is going to be able to manage this politically uh, in Alberta because it ju- it'll just seem like again them riding to the you know, rescue of the environmental cause at the cost of Alberta's economic interests. And, and uh, you know, this is an ongoing thing. And, and um, I think it's, there's going to be more political trouble between Ottawa and Alberta as a result of this. All right, Dan, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Okay, thanks, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. To every person in Canada that has tuned out of politics because they didn't see themselves reflected. I say, make your home with us. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Temrys Khan argues two people of color leading Canadian federal parties is at least a start. Khan writes, Annamie Paul's win is a win for racial minorities in Canada. For the first time, leaders of two of the country's five main political parties are people of color. But while the face of Canada's politics is beginning to look more like its demographics, the politics itself still has a long way to go. The negative effects of colonialism and racism will continue to remain a crucial part of political decision-making, even in a comparatively welcoming country like Canada. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues governments are failing in their promise to test and trace. The Star writes, The federal government pledged billions over the summer to help provinces including $4.28 billion for testing and contact tracing. That's a lot of money, but it hasn't bought the results that we were looking for. Governments are urging us to do our part by washing hands, wearing a mask, and maintaining physical distance. Certainly, we should do all those things. But governments need to do a lot better at the basics they pledge to do, test and trace. In the Toronto Sun, Lori Goldstein argues public and private sectors have different pandemic priorities. Goldstein writes, Pandemic benefit payments are not permanent solutions for the millions of workers laid off because of COVID-19. Assistance programs for businesses cannot replace their revenues prior to the lockdowns. There are no perfect decisions here. It's about choosing the lesser of evils, where there are valid arguments on both sides. My concern is whether the interests of the private sector are being fully considered in a political debate dominated by the public sector. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson makes an announcement this morning about Canada's plastics policy. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, it's a policy that's been delayed by the pandemic. Mark, Environment Minister Wilkinson, as well as Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault and local MP Greg Fergus, will be at the Museum of History in Gatineau at 10.30 this morning to make an announcement concerning plastic pollution. The big question will be, where is the government at when it comes to eliminating single-use plastics such as straws, cutlery and bags, which the government promised to do as early as 2021? The corporate attempt to eliminate plastics has been virtually put on hold. Canada's Solid Waste Association estimates that single-use plastic use has increased by uh, by 250 to 300% during the pandemic. Major corporations such as Bulk Barn, Starbucks and Tim Hortons, not to mention major grocery chains, have all suspended their reusables programs over the fears of spreading the virus. 
Now, that being said, this spring, scientists from around the world signed a major letter reminding governments that plastics can be safely reused if properly washed and disinfected. So, Mark, with all of that, it will be very interesting to see where Jonathan Wilkinson is taking Canada's plastic policy and Canada's plastic promises. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting virtually, as well as question period. Two interviews with the Prime Minister will also air on French media outlets. The Conservative Caucus will meet in Ottawa. Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan will take part virtually in a panel discussion as part of the GlobeSec 2020 Bratislava Forum. And Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will make a virtual announcement about support for early learning, childcare and schools in Nunavut. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, October the 7th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.